Children are dismissed at this time to Children's Church. What I invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, and open up to Romans chapter 15, and we'll be looking at verses uh, 14 through uh, 21. Romans chapter 15, uh, verses 14 through 21. Apostle Paul writes the word of God. I myself am satisfied about you, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in priestly service of the gospel, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Illyricum, Eliacrim, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never heard have been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, and we ask that you would instruct us from your word, we ask that we would take comfort from it, joy from it, uh, that you would correct us where we need correction. And we just ask that you would bless uh, the word upon us and that the Holy Spirit would be living and active in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to think for a minute about pride and ambition. Uh, most times when we think of pride, we think of something that's bad, and, and rightly so. Most times when we think of ambition... We think of selfish ambition, but I want you to think about pride and ambition, and I want you to ask this question. When is it good, and when is it bad? When is ambition good, and when is ambition bad? If you have an ambition to be a missionary, that might be a very good thing. If you have an ambition to be the richest person in the world... That might not be a good thing if you are driven by the love of money. If you have an ambition to help people, that is a good thing. If you have an ambition to take care of only yourself, that is not a good thing. So how do we think about pride and ambition? And what I want you to notice in this passage is that Paul has some of these things. He is proud of his work in Christ. So when is that good and when is that bad? He has an ambition to preach the gospel where it has not been heard. Now, when is that good and when is it bad? Sometimes you can tell just by looking at an outward sign of an ambition that it's bad. If I have the amb ambition to become a drug dealer, you can say right off the bat, that's a bad ambition. But someone who maybe has an ambition to be a pastor or a missionary, you have to probe deeper. What's in the heart? 
Some people want to be pastors and missionaries because they want to be patted on the back, because they want to be famous, because they want to be known. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's a mixed bag. Motives are often like this as we we tease out what is going on in our hearts. So we want to think about pride and ambition today, and particularly the sinless kind, and hopefully give you some questions to evaluate uh, your own life in these areas. First this morning, when Christ has called you, be bold in Christ. Boldness is something that can be good. Boldness is something that can be bad. If you are bold for the wrong things, if you are bold in going around offending people, that's not good. But if you're bold for the cause of Christ, if you're bold for something that God has given you a passion for, that God has called you into, that kind of boldness is a good thing. So notice here how then Paul is satisfied in the church of Rome. He says in verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. You'll notice here Paul is, is it's kind of like saying he's happy with the Roman church. He's, he's not writing them to critique them. He's not writing them to tear them down. He is imparting a spiritual gift to them. He is building them up and preparing, him, preparing them for this desire that he has to visit. But just by comparison, the church in Rome is not like the churches in Galatia. He was not satisfied with the churches in Galatia, if you remember. They were compromising the gospel. He begins with some harsh words for them. He, he, he doesn't start out his letter in his normal, hey, grace and peace to you, how are you doing? Uh, we've heard of your faith, it's going well. He just jumps right into this. You guys are in danger of compromising the gospel. Uh, the church of Corinth is another example. Uh, he's not always happy with them. Now, they are believers. He starts out and he does talk about the grace and peace to them and how God has called them into fellowship. But, but as you get going, you find out there are problems in the church, deep-seated moral problems. Uh, just by way of one example, there was a scenario where a, a person was sleeping with his mother-in-law. Uh, Paul had to rebuke that. And so, uh, or it's probably his stepmother, excuse me. And so, you don't always have Paul writing letters where he's satisfied. But he's, he's pleased with the church in Rome. He's, he's glad to hear their faith and how they're doing. He's writing them to help them understand the nuances of the gospel and to help them go deeper. If Paul is going to use Rome as sort of a, a missionary launching pad, he eventually wants to get to Spain He wants to know that that foundation is solid. It's kind of like before you buy a house, right? You go around and and, uh, with cars, we kick the tires. With with houses, we we maybe go into the basement. Uh, We bought a house in the Poconos at one point and we crawled into the crawl space. Uh, Not fun. I really wish I would have done that. Maybe I wouldn't have bought the house then if I if I had listened to the things that you see in the the crawl space. It, It ended up being a good house, but... You look at some of the things, you look at all the bugs under there, you look at some of the beams and you go, what am I getting myself into? Nevertheless, Paul is writing here and he's sending this and and he says, it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, For I long to see you 
that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So he is satisfied. They are equipped. But this is like this bolstering up. Uh, just as an aside, I think it's, it's fair to say that no matter how mature you are as a Christian, you can always go deeper in your understanding of the gospel. And the Christian life is, is never like, well, I learned the gospel and now I go on to other things. The Christian life is growing in the grace of God. Now, certainly part of that is we do learn other things in Scripture as we study it more. But you never set the gospel aside and say, now I'm learning deeper things. You're always going deeper into the gospel. You're always going deeper into understanding the cross of Christ, his death, his resurrection, the plans uh, and purposes of God. Notice then, not only is Paul satisfied with them, but he describes himself as, as taking on a, a measure of boldness with them. Uh, they didn't ask him for a letter. He took the initiative and sent the letter. So you look at verses 15 and 16. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God. Just pause there for a second. So he doesn't see this as a church that doesn't have the gospel or is compromising the gospel. But he says, I wrote you these things by way of reminder. But he also says, I've written to you very boldly. He's pushing them some. He's challenging them some. You think maybe, for example, the doctrine of election in, in Romans 9. He's, he's explaining it to them more. And, and that can be a tough doctrine to get our minds and hearts around sometimes. And yet part of understanding the gospel is understanding that God does all the work and we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And, and so part of this is our understanding of who does all the work, who gets all the credit, who draws me to God. Do I draw myself to God or does he draw me? And so Paul has been very bold, very forthright uh, with them. And he says, this is because of the grace of God given to me, verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So not only has he been bold, but he's taken on this responsibility because he understands what God has called him to do. God has called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so he doesn't have to sit back and say, well, you know, there's a church in Rome. Uh, it's made up of Jewish believers. It's made up of, of Gentile believers. Uh, at one point, the Jews were kicked out of Rome by, um, uh, I forget which Caesar it was now, uh, off the top of my head. Uh, but it happens in the book of Acts. The, they're kicked out by the edict. Uh, the church would have been only Gentile at that point in Rome. And then later on, uh, Jews are let back into the city. But we think because of that, probably by this point, uh, the church in Rome was more predominantly uh, a Gentile church. And so he says, like, look, uh, God made me the apostle to the Gentiles. This is my call. So, so he wasn't shy about writing them. 
He wasn't shy and say, well, you know, we've never met and how would they respond to my authority and I, I don't know if I should do this. And No, he says, God called me to this. I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. Your church, Jew and Gentile, but probably uh, largely Gentile. And you see that in some of the exhortations he makes to the stronger brothers, those who didn't have the issue of eating uh, meat and food and those sorts of things. And so he just takes the initiative. He just jumps in here. Paul's plan at this point is to later not only go to Rome, but to go on to Spain. We'll see this next week, but I'll just highlight this now. Uh, Romans 15, 28 and 29. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected. This is the collection that he's taking down to Jerusalem. I will leave for Spain by way of you, and I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So this is before he's in Jerusalem, and he's arrested, and he goes to Rome as a prisoner. But his plan has all along to been to go to Rome, uh, and then from Rome to go to Spain. Uh, now, we don't know for sure that Paul ever made it to Spain. Uh, one tradition in church history is that he was released the first time he was in Rome. He made it to Spain but he was imprisoned a second time in Rome, and then he was crucified. Uh, So he might have gotten to Spain. He might not. The point is, he is the apostle to the Gentiles, and so he takes this responsibility. He knows that he needs to be making sure they're being built up in the faith. He knows they're believers, though. He doesn't belittle them or talk down to them. He stretches them, and this is so that he can launch from there to go to Spain. He does this because he is a minister of Christ Jesus. And he sees himself here offering a priestly service of the gospel of God. So, so what does a priest do? They take in the sacrifices. They take them to the temple and, and they would have prepared them and gotten them already uh, and laid them out on the altar. Paul sees what he's doing in the gospel as priestly service. He's making an analogy here between the Old Testament and what he is doing. And he says then that the offering, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. So so if he's the priest and he's ministering the gospel, who is that which is ultimately being offered up to God? It's not some lamb or some bull on the altar. It's the Gentiles. Like, here God, here are those that you have saved. He will present them, if you will, to God. This is a, a picture of church ministry. Not that we should call our pastors priests or, or anything like that, but you think about how in Romans 12:1 we're to present our own bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. And so also the people that are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit are sanctified because Paul had a priestly ministry, if you will. He was helping get the sacrifice ready. He was helping making sure that the Gentiles would be acceptable to God, that they would know God, that they would know salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would know how to walk in the ways of the Lord, that they would continue in the paths of righteousness. Paul's goal in ministry in Colossians, he says this, Colossians chapter 1, 27 to 29, to them... God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is in Christ, which is Christ in you, excuse me, the hope of glory. 
Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So he knows he's doing it by the strength of the Lord, but but what is his mission? Now here he doesn't use the the priestly analogy, but it's it's the similar idea. To present people to Christ. To present people to God and say, these are the ones that God has worked in. We sometimes take an individualistic view of the judgment. We will certainly, as individuals, stand uh, before the the Lord and, and be judged for our deeds. Even the believer won't be judged in terms of salvation, but will be judged in terms of, of how they lived. Uh, it, it'll be a crown of rewards. But there's also a corporate sense in which various groups and peoples and churches will be judged. We're told in Hebrews that, that, and in First Peter that elders must will, will one day give an account before God for how they shepherded the church, for how they took care of, of, of you in the church. And this is why we value church membership because it's a way of saying, yeah, we're, we're, we're here to take care of you. You're here uh, to, to commit to be a part of, the, of, of one unified body. That's also why Scripture exhorts uh, the people to make it easy for their elders. Don't make it hard for them. Uh, don't be contentious and cantankerous in, in that sort of, uh, of bad and sinful way. But there is also this sense where on the day of judgment, Paul envisions himself as presenting people to the Lord. Not because of what he's done, but he sees himself as this priest. Just These are the sacrifices. These are the people, God, that you have been working in, that you put me in charge of. I was the apostle to the Gentiles, and you used me, and, and I'm gonna, I get the chance to, to bring them before you. Kind of like a, a father walks uh, the daughter down the aisle. If the bridegroom is Jesus and the bride is the church, Paul is kind of like the one that walks him down the aisle and says, here is your bride. Here is what you've allowed me to do to serve you, to, to prepare her for this day. Now, he sees this as being done through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does the sanctifying. But Paul knows that God uses... Human people, pastors, prophets, teachers, apostles in the early church. Today, pastors and teachers and elders and Sunday school teachers and and all levels of of spiritual gifts. This is the model for ministry. Our goal is ultimately to present people to God as mature in Christ. If you're a parent, one day you will give an account not only for how you lived your life, but for what you did in the lives of your kids to to raise your kids. Now, there comes a point where your kids are responsible for their own actions. But, you know, God has put you in charge of of your children. That is a call. Uh, Your job as a parent is not just to see that they get born and see that they get fed. Your call is to see that they're raised up spiritually, to see that you're giving them instruction. Now we know, you know, kids are, aren't always easy and you can do all the right things and, and the kids can still uh, later in life or whatever go out on their own and, and we're not held accountable for those things. But the point is this. If you have a call from God, you can be bold 
in exercising that calling. Like, you don't have to sit there and, and say, you know, when, as your kids are growing up, gee, I wonder if God wants me to share the gospel with my kids, you know? I don't know. It's such a tough decision. No, that's that's your call. Step out. Do that. You you can be bold when you know that God has called you to something. He's he's put these kids in your life. You don't have to ask yourself, well, gee, you know, should I really take responsibility here? Is this really my thing? No, it's a call. If you're if you're a Sunday school teacher. You don't have to sit there and ask, you know, well, you know, if the kid asks me a question and and wants to know how to get to heaven, you know, should I answer the question or should I take him to the pastor? No, that's your call. You're there. You're in the moment. If God has given you spiritual gifts and given you a call to use them in certain ways, don't be shy about that. Right. We're all timid sometimes when it comes to using our gifts. Uh, sometimes we, we need a little kick in the pants, a little motivation from somebody that says, hey, you really do have a gift. You should use it. But the point is here, Paul, look how Paul steps out. He takes boldness. He writes this church that he's never been to. And he says, look, you're on my heart. I'm writing you. I'm being bold in what I'm saying. But I'm doing this because I know God has called me to this. If God has called you to something, If God has put that burden on your heart and he has given you the gifts and maybe he's opened doors, maybe he's placed you as a deacon, maybe he's placed you as a Sunday school teacher, maybe you don't have any sort of formal position, but you know he's called you to share the gospel. You know he's called you to work in your job and be an example. You don't have to stop and ask yourself, well, gee, should I really do these things? Should I really live out my Christian character at work? Well, yeah, that's your call. Be bold with it. That kind of ambition is not wrong. It's biblical. Paul knows he's been called, and when he's been called, he's bold in that calling. Second, this morning, when Christ has called you, speak of what Christ has accomplished. So this gets to the issue of of pride and being proud of things. How do we do that? So Paul, in Christ, is proud of his work. Look at verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Notice a couple of things here. Notice that it is in this context of in Christ Jesus. He has done these things as a servant of Christ. He has done these things as someone who has a relationship with Christ, who is in union with Christ. The whole context is, is I am united to Christ. I am in Christ. So I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm not saying that I did this. He's saying in Christ Jesus, as one of his servants, there is no independence, no self-reliance here, and no boasting of his own strength and ability. But notice this. He has an ability to be proud of uh, about concerning the good work that he's done. So he says, in Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. That there were things that he did for God. Now, this is, this is not boasting, although, you know, in the wrong context, you could easily make it a, a sinful boast. You know, hey, look what I've done for God. This is, this is just Paul saying, you know, 
God has been really gracious to me. And, and I've been able to do some work for the Lord. And, and yeah, we went to this town and that town and, and people got saved. And he says, I have reason to be proud. And that reason is because he's in Christ Jesus. The, the context clearly is that he's not doing it in his own strength. Um, but he's excited. Did you ever build something with your own hands? Some of you are better at this. Most of you, all of you are better at this than me. And you build something with your hands and, and you look back and you say, my hands, I, I've done this. And you look at the, the grease and the dirt on your hands and you're like, look at what I was able to build. And, and you're not necessarily boasting in a sinful way. You're just saying like, wow, this is a sense of fulfillment. I can see right in front of me what I accomplished. This is embarrassing, but I'll share it anyways. I one time uh, changed the headlight bulbs on my car. And uh, I got grease and dirt on my fingers. And I'm always asking my brother, my younger brother, for car advice because he's the car mechanic in the family. And if it's ever a big problem, I get him to fix it. And so, like, I texted him a picture with greasy hands. And it was just a little bit of grease. And I think I had, like, a screwdriver in my hand. And the engine was in the background. And I'm like, I worked on my car all by myself. It was just changing light bulbs. But, but for me, it was a big deal. And my brother was laughing and joking. He's like, oh, yeah, we'll make a mechanic out of you yet. But, you know, even in that little thing, there was a sense of satisfaction. I didn't have to call my brother first. I figured out how to do it. Then I called him afterwards to make sure that I did it the right way. Um, Being proud of doing something for the Lord isn't prideful in a sinful sense if you're thankful to God. If you're giving glory to God. If You are praising God. If you can say, wow, I'm so glad that God allowed me to do this. Put me in the right time, in the right place. I had a chance to lead someone to the Lord. That is awesome. But you're saying, praise God. You're saying, God use me. You're saying, God gets all the credit. That can be a good sort of being proud. Being proud isn't a sin if you're denying Self-reliance, even satisfaction in work as a job that comes from God. If you've done well and good, the best of your abilities in that job, that's not a sin if you're giving credit to God for the talents that he's given you. Thank you, Lord, that you've allowed me to do this. I am satisfied in the work that you have given me. That sort of pride isn't sin. It was work for God. It was work accomplished in Christ. Uh, And the accomplishment here of the spiritual ministries was the Holy Spirit who sanctified. So he's not taking credit for himself. He said in the previous verse, it was the Holy Spirit sanctifying people. There are days where, you know, I'll preach a sermon and I, I feel like, thank you. That, that really flowed well. There are other days where I'm like, oh, I don't know if anybody got anything out of it. And, and, and God is still gracious and uses it because it's not about my strength and ability. But sometimes, you know, uh, I had a professor in, in college. He said, you look, when somebody says that was a nice sermon, uh, don't spiritualize it. Just say thank you. You know, just say thank you. God allowed you to do that. Give praise to God, but you don't have to to be like, oh, well, you shouldn't say any of that because, you know, I don't want to be take any credit. Well, I don't want to take any credit. I want God to have the credit. 
but I can still say thank you. That's just point of an illustration. Notice here that Paul only speaks in ways that gives credit to God. This is really clear. This is how you separate the sinful sort of pride from just a, a natural being proud that God used you, being grateful that God used you. Look at verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Ili- Il- ah, getting stuck on this one, Eliacrum, Elyricrum, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. You, you say the word all week in your head, and then you go to pronounce it in public, and, and your tongue gets all uh, t- twisted up over it. But notice this. He, he's, he's really clearly putting the, the boasting away from himself. He's pushing the credit to God. He's saying, I'm not going to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. So he can say, look, I have reason to be proud in my work, but it wasn't me. I just happened to be there. God could have used anybody. God could have made the rocks cry out so that people could hear the gospel. And so who do I give the credit for in the accomplishment of ministry? God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Who do I boast in? The Scriptures say, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so the pride that Paul is feeling is a thankfulness and a gratefulness that God was so gracious in letting him be the servant. When you share the Gospel to someone and they come to saving faith, you don't pat yourself on the back and say, you know, I I shared it just right. I had the right words. I got it in there. I debated with them. I was the one that convinced them. You sit and say, I just saw a miracle. God opened that person's heart. God drew them to saving faith. He used my words to show them eternal truth. But but what are my words? Because ultimately... My words are only effective to the degree that I'm sharing the Word of God, opening the Scriptures. That's why it's so important when you're sharing your faith, use Bible verses. No passages that you can take them to or have at least a few memorized like John 3.16 or Romans 3.23 or Romans 5.8 or 1 John 1.2 or excuse me, 1 John 1.9. Because who gets the credit? When someone moves from life to death, who does the work? It's not the preacher. It's not the evangelist. It's not the Sunday school teacher. It's not you, the parent, sharing the gospel to your child. And yet, we can rightly be excited that we were there. How awesome is it that Christ accomplished this? And how amazing is it that I was not even worthy to say these things on my lips because of my sin? And yet, God used me. If God is the one who used me, who gets the credit? God. This is why you and I have nothing outside of Christ with which we can boast in. This is why we've got to shun that sort of sinful pride. This is why we want to move away from a mindset of, of 
keeping track of church statistics and success in ministry is by outward signs. Because we are looking for God to do the work so that at the end of the day, we can boast in God. One of our vision statements in the church is um, to... How do we say it? Prepare people for glory, I think it is. Where are my elders? Our vision statement, one of them is to prepare people for glory. I always say we're preparing people to die, but that sounds morbid. The idea is, um, you know, what, what are we here for in church? Like we are ultimately preparing to stand before God one day. We're here for eternal issues, not uh, temporary issues. And, and so we want you to be ready to, to see God and know that when you die or when the Lord returns that you'll be with Him in glory. And that involves believing in Him, but that involves growing in your faith, bearing fruit uh, in your faith, being encouraged and having an assurance in the Lord. So it's, it's more than just the initial conversion. It's about the making of discipleships, right? Or making of, of disciples. One day, I hope to stand before the Lord, and, and I don't say this in a... I mean, this is a sobering thought, and have some that I can say to the Lord, here, let me present these people to you mature in Christ. So you had better believe, me and the elders and, and whoever else is involved in the ministry and the life of the church, like, like we don't get credit for that. Like God has done that work. It's just as an aside, do you pray that the Lord would work regularly in our church? Do you pray for people specifically? Do you pray for yourself if it's spiritual things that make for spiritual ministry, then we better be asking the Holy Spirit to work, right? And what does Paul say? He's, he's grateful, in a sense. He doesn't use that word, but I think it would be a fair uh, interpretation here. He's grateful that God has used him, that he did work for the Lord. But he doesn't have anything to say about that work except what Jesus Christ did. Wouldn't that be awesome if that's how our church was? Not only on the Day of Judgment, but now. Like, if we didn't have anything to say about the life of the church except what Christ did. What He's doing now. What He will be doing. What He's doing in you. Let that be kind of our vision. Let that be the mark of success. Do we hope that the church grows in numbers? Yeah. Are we excited that the worship band is larger than it was uh, three years ago, that we have a worship band which we didn't have four years ago? Yeah. But we don't boast in those things or the new chairs or the new uh, room at the back. We want to boast in what Christ has accomplished. And this is what Paul uh, is doing. Let's move on. Paul has been accomplishing these things by word and deed, and he's real clear. The power of the Holy Spirit is doing this so that he can say, I've fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. As a pastor, and I hope you sense this as well, you want to get to the end of your life and say, I have fulfilled what God has given me to do. We're not going to be perfect at it, right? But hopefully we can look back and say, God, you've been gracious in working through me. And in some small ways, you have used me. Be grateful to God. And the, the kind of pride that is grateful to God and reflects it all back on God and does not take pride in ourselves, but is 
proud of what God has done is the kind of biblical being proud that Paul has. So, how should I boast? Well, boast in the Lord. Talk about what Christ has done. When you think about what's going on in your life right now, I hope you talk about what Christ has done in you. When you get that promotion at work, when you get that new job, I hope in your boasting you you say, hey, I'm so grateful for God allowing me to do this. You can be proud and say, you know, I, I worked really hard. And then you also, in the context, you say, I worked really hard and I am so glad that God has allowed me to work hard in this way. That God has given me the gifts for this. So you're not saying like, well, you know, I'm the one that worked hard for this. I deserve this. You're saying, God has given me some things. And I'm so grateful that he's allowed me to use them. I'm thankful for the gifts. And I'm thankful that he's allowed me uh, to use them. Uh, Even just because uh, God... Well, let me put it to you this way. One of the reasons we should be glad that God allows us to use our gifts is just because God gives you a gift, he doesn't have to allow you to use it. Like, he wants you to use it, right? He wants you to be faithful. But sometimes I think we think that because God has given me a gift, he's going to use me for great things. And we define great things by human standards. Sometimes God gives great gifts to people and he calls them to a quiet corner of the earth. A missionary given the great gift of evangelism. And he calls them to the jungles of Southeast Asia. And no one in America and the rest of the world ever knows how well and how faithful that missionary was in using their great gift. He raises up a man like Jim Elliott and gives him a great gift and then calls him to die very early in his ministry. There was a time in my life where I think I assumed because of certain gifts that God had given me, I knew how he would use me. He would want me in a big church or he would want me to have a big ministry or he would want me to write a lot of books or whatever it was. And then you read like the stories of Jeremiah God gave him a great gift, the Word of God to minister. And God used it not to convert large numbers, but to convert a small remnant. Use your gift with boldness. Be grateful that God has given you the ability to use gifts. Take take pride in what God has accomplished before you and through you. But don't give to God what you think the standard should be. You might be the best technician at at making widgets at your job. I don't know what your jobs are, and they're all different jobs. You might be the best widget maker in the company. And you get passed over for promotion year after year. And you think, this isn't fair. This isn't right. I have this talent. God has given me this talent. But maybe there's someone next to you that God wants you to witness to. And God has you there for a long season so that they can see your life. So that they can see how you handle discouragement. So they can see how you handle when things are going on at home and it's tough. You don't know the plans and purposes of God. And the point of this is do not dictate terms to God what success should look like. That's when the boasts become sinful. 
But when you can boast and say that Christ is accomplishing things through me on his own terms, that is when it is godly to be proud in what God has used you for. Lastly, when Christ has called you, don't be afraid to be ambitious for Christ. Paul's goal then is to continue his calling. He says in verse 20, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So Paul knows that God's plan is to evangelize the world. Paul knows his call, that he is the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul is ambitious to this end. But ambition is tempered by a humble servant heart. And when ambition is tempered by a humble servant heart that says, you know, use me however you want, Lord, it is not sinful. Like I said earlier, we don't know if Paul ever made it on to Spain. Let's assume for a second that he never did. If he never made it to Spain, was it sinful of him? To have the ambition to go to Spain? Now think about that. If he never made it to Spain, then obviously it wasn't God's will that he go to Spain. So was Paul sinning by saying, I want to go to Spain? I think this was where God has me. This is the sort of trick question that theologians and pastors love to give. The answer is no. Paul's ambition was tempered by a servant's heart. Just like in the book of James, we're supposed to pray when when we make plans. Today I'm going to go here, tomorrow I'm going to do that. We're supposed to pray if it's the Lord's will. So our ambitions should be tempered by if it's the Lord's will. So he set, in a sense, a goal. Hey, I'm going to come to Rome and I'm eventually going to go to Spain. He made it to Rome. He made it to Rome in ways that he didn't expect, in chains. He had the goal, but but he submitted himself to the Lord as the Lord revealed. So a missionary, someone might feel called to the mission field. And they begin to take steps to do that. Obviously, they're praying over it. They're seeking counsel. They're getting training. They maybe even start raising support. And God closes the door and directs that person to do some sort of ministry here in the United States. Maybe, let's say in this example, to work in a homeless shelter. Was their ambition wrong? No. So long as they've submitted it to the Lord. See, when your ambition is, is driving you outside and you, and you um, aren't even thinking what the will of God is, that's when it's sinful. When it's this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and and you're just kind of looking for God to bless what you already want, then it's sinful. But it's not wrong to say, my goal is to do this if the Lord wills. I hope that I'm a pastor the rest of my life if the Lord wills. I hope that's a fairly long life if the Lord wills. That's my ambition. But if the Lord takes me home sooner or moves me into some other ministry, that's his will. And I'll be grateful for it. Not all ambition is wrong. Notice, too, his ambition is to preach the gospel. His ambition is to do what is already called of Christians. So he's letting Scripture and he's letting his call define that ambition. 
What's your ambition as a parent? Hopefully it's to raise godly children. Hopefully it's to one day let your children go out of the house and be mature adults. That's your job as a parent, not to hover over them into their 30s and be the helicopter parents. So you have a godly ambition. I want to get the kids out of the house. Temper it a little bit and say, I want them to leave mature and prepared and ready to face the world, right? You don't, you don't have to say, well, is that really God? what God would want me to do? Well, He gave you kids and He gave you a calling to raise kids and He gives you instructions in Scripture in terms of what raising kids should look like and what the end product is. Uh, ideally is. Those kinds of ambitions are good. As a believer today, you need to submit your ambitions to the Lord. Let me give you some examples, some questions you can ask for yourself to temper and and tease out whether your ambitions uh, are of the Lord. You can ask yourself this question. How will I respond if my ambition doesn't come to pass. Can I be satisfied if I had an ambition and God closed the door on that? And if the answer is no, then you need to ask yourself, has the ambition become an idol? Is it my selfish ambition? Is my identity in Christ or is it in my ambition? In other words, what's going to satisfy me more? Can I be content in Christ if my ambition never comes to fruition? Am I looking in my ambition and what I want to do to be patted on the back? What am I going to base my worth on or my sense of self upon? Some people, men in particular, are vulnerable, I think, to this. They base their work on their employment. And when they lose their job, it hurts. I mean, it hurts whenever you lose your job, right? But some people so base their their identity on what they do that that they get depressed or angry when they get fired. Some men in particular, and I'm just sticking with the example of men, they retire and suddenly they feel like they have no meaning in their life. You have to ask, was that job where they located their identity or is their identity, their sense of worth, their sense of purpose coming from Christ? Is my ambition out of rivalry? Like, I want to do this so I can be better than somebody else. Like, I want to, we want to be the biggest church so we can be better than those people down the street. Paul encountered people like this in Philippians where he said, some preach the gospel out of rivalry and envy. They, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Am I submitting my request to the Lord's will? Lord, I'd like to do this if it's your will. Lord, this is my ambition, if it's your will. Lord, this is where I'd like to be in five years, if it's your will. Lord, this is what I'm going to prepare for as I go to college, if it's your will. What is my relationship with human praise? Sometimes we pursue ambitions because we want the praise of men. We're looking for that pat on the back. Do I need it? Do I crave that from human beings? Is my ambition driven by God's values or my own? This is particularly important when we evaluate what should our ambitions in church ministry be? If you're a Sunday school teacher, what's your ambition? I hope it is to serve the Lord and be the best Sunday school teacher He's called you to be. 
But you need to check that ambition. Is it because you want to show up other people? Is it because you want praise from human beings? Is it because you want to be known as the person that led a whole bunch of people to the Lord? Or is it because you want the Lord to be glorified and the Lord to do the work? Notice that Paul's ambition is to go to the ends of the earth and preach the gospel where it had not been heard. And he justifies that by quoting Isaiah 52:15, Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never been heard will understand. The instructions of Scripture temper the vision and ambition of Paul. As elders and deacons, I hope our vision for what ministry looks like is tempered by the Word of God. But as just another example... Deacons don't have to ask, you know, we see this widow in need. Should we help her? Because that's what God has called you to do. And so you can step out and do that. The scriptures also say it's a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer or an elder, he desires a noble task. There's a thing where ambition isn't sinful. How you pursue that ambition could be sinful. The motives you have for desiring that could be sinful. But just because you're saying, you know, I think God has given me some gifts and maybe one day he'll use me as an elder in the church and I'd be honored if he did and I want to study my Bible and prepare and learn how to minister to people at all levels of the church before I become an elder. Those are good ambitions. Sometimes teasing these things out isn't a simple black and white answer. And that's why I've given you a number of kind of questions to reflect on. We need to do the hard work of probing the heart. Am I bold for the Lord? Am I proud that He is using me, but I'm dependent upon Him? Or am I prideful thinking that I've accomplished things? Let's close in a word of prayer this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would instruct us from your word. We ask that you would guide us and and, uh, just oversee all of our uh, all the areas of our church. Lord, help us to have that that balance. It sometimes almost feels like a tightrope where we can say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for putting me in this position at this time, for using me at the same time, Lord, that we would give all the glory to you. We would give you all the praise that we would not boast in any accomplishments Uh, as if we've done them, but as you've been pleased uh, to do them. And so, Lord, we thank you for the tasks that you've given us. We thank you for the tasks of raising parents and teaching Sunday school and and counseling others or taking care of the youth or, or maybe just even being that good friend that someone can come to for spiritual advice and counsel. Lord, use us in those things that you've called us to. But, Lord, help us to remain humble and walk Uh, before you in all that we do. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.